Skycast episode 48, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 7, episode 5, Welcome to Bardo. Bitch. <laughs> Obviously, I added that last yes. part, but it needed to be said. Um, okay, so what do you think about this episode? Um, so the episode itself... I'm of I'm of two minds. First off, oh, I good. loved so am I. I loved watching it. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. As an episode, um, it was a little messy. It, like there were some things that I think were cool, like the way they were playing with time was really cool. Um, but it also just lended to a lot of like info dumping and a lot of just um things being thrown at us mm-hmm. and there weren't as many character moments um as there could have been especially in the bardo side of things um but i still i mean like i very much enjoyed it both times that we've watched it so yeah yeah what about you so i it's funny we're obviously doing this much faster and sooner than we normally would having the episode coming out last night so sarah and i haven't actually had a, a lot of chance to talk about this especially since i was basically comatose yesterday and fell asleep immediately after the episode ran well i just want to say i hope we get this out today right now we're talking on thursday um it's very possible that we don't get this out until saturday or sunday so you guys will know um, at that point, we have a, a hard stopping point today. So it's just, can we finish this podcast before we, before <laughs> have, we, to leave? we have to leave? Um, anyway, but it's funny you should say that because I feel very similarly in that, um, you know, did I love watching this episode? Was it super fun to watch? Did it feel satisfying to finally start putting all these puzzle pieces together? Absolutely. Like it was a, it was a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially after so many episodes of the season has just kind of felt like treading water. Um, we got a lot of, maybe not forward emotion, but at least a lot of information. Yeah. Um, to start, um, again, like putting the pieces together. However, it was incredibly plot driven. And as you all know, I don't really care about plot. I'm a much more, I'm much more invested in character. Uh, and I do think there were a few moments that they just breezed right by that really could have had some gravitas um, and some emotional heft to it that maybe they didn't play out to it the full potential Um, but with that said I did truly enjoy watching this and it was a lot of fun yeah Um, okay so a couple of things up at the top we got a couple of great emails this week Um, so guys we love hearing from you please email us at (laughs) skycast crew at gmail.com uh we got an email both of the emails this week were very theory driven um which is why i didn't end up responding to you guys because i thought it would be fun to do it live on the podcast um so the first one is up from alex he says what if her i I guess i don't know if it's a he or they they say what if her being the key um I think they're talking about Clark. Mm-hmm. What if Clark being the key is because she is the only one who was in the City of Light willingly and Bill is trying to or already has recreated the City of Light? Um, glad that you brought this up, Alex. That was definitely along the lines of what I was thinking. I'm not sure necessarily um, I was envisioning the City of Light, like specifically, mm-hmm. um, but just more so the fact that Clark has had at this point, all of the tech that Becca created in her head at one point or another. Can you um, enumerate them for our listeners? Yeah, so there was obviously Ally 1 with the chip. Yeah. 
Um, there was the flame, which was Alley two, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the mine drives, uh, which was Alley zero point five. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, especially in the context of what we see in the rest of this episode, the flame is what's really intriguing these people, um, and it's what they're after. So. I don't know if it's the City of Light specifically, but I do think that whatever they have to um, get from Clark, it has to do with Allie and Becca. Mm. Um, so again, like, not sure where that's going to go, but I definitely think that you're on the right track. I don't know if Bill has recreated the City of Light, although it is possible. Actually, you know what, Alex? I'm going to put a pin in this, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the episode because I have a couple of, like, theories for where we've kind of landed after these last five episodes that I would like to discuss. So I like this idea that Bill has recreated the City of Light. And I'll get back to that. Okay, we'll revisit. We'll yeah. revisit. We'll bookend the pod with that. <laughs> um, our other email came from longtime listener Mackenzie. Shout out to Mackenzie. And this is a little long, so bear with me. But it's all important stuff that I want to talk about. Um, Mackenzie writes, What if when creating the Second Dawn Bunker, Cadigan found the Anomaly Stone and figured out how to use it, in parentheses, maybe this this is explained in the prequel backdoor pilot episode. So after he burned Becca at the stake, he left Earth via the Anomaly and landed in Bardo. He then had people go back and destroy or disconnect Earth's Anomaly Stone so that no one can follow them and the Second Dawn people to Bardo. And that's how Cadigan got there and then indoctrinated the Allegis Three and took over and why there has never been anomaly activity on Earth since. Um, I definitely think, I mean, obviously we know from this episode that they did find the Anomaly Stone and use that to travel to Bardo. Um, I'm still unclear about where Allegis Three fits in. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit later in the episode. Um, and as to him, like, sending people back to, uh, to, to like, disconnect the stone, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anything at this point is possible. It's a cool idea if he was, like, shepherding, shepherding people and felt like this was his flock that he didn't want to, like, taint, that he would, like, disconnect it for all the non-believers or the people who, like didn't believe in him to be left on earth mm-hmm. um i think that's kind of like a it feels a category <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could definitely see that i also think it it could be possible that you could control the anomaly stones from other anomaly stones i'm not sure yet how that sure. all is going to work yeah but we, don't, we don't have enough information on that but all but I, I definitely do think there will be a question of how to get the anomaly stone on earth because we learned in this episode that there is now an anomaly stone on Earth and that that sixth planet from last episode is Earth, um, the one that was offline. Um, I think a lot of this season is going to be how to get that back online and how to get us back to our home. Yes, in whatever shape it may be in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so before we get into the recap, I just want to take a quick minute at the top here um, to remind you guys to go rate and review us on iTunes. Again, it helps other fans of The 100 find us, which is most precious in our last season. Yes. Um, so please go do that right now. Thank you, thank you. We, we really, appreciate it. We really appreciate you guys and all the tweets you guys send and the emails and everything. Yeah, we um, love it. So thank you. All right, let's jump into the recap here. Uh, yes. After Octavia and Dioza were captured on Skyring, they're brought into Bardo. This was 45 days ago. 
Octavia fights off her captors and runs. She eventually finds a door opening to what looks like a forest, but she's knocked over by an invisible force, the Time Pirates, and Octavia realizes that the forest is actually inside. On Sanctum, the Faithful, led by our favorite character, Trey, claim that they're going to sacrifice one of themselves every hour until Russell is freed. And when Indra refuses to let Russell go, a Faithful woman burns herself alive. Later, as our group is trying to figure out what to do, they decide that Murphy should pretend to be Daniel Prime and tell the Faithful to stop. Yeah, so first off, I just want to say, um, hearing Dio's voice off camera as she's shouting to Octavia not to tell her anything, not to tell them anything, it just made me really miss Dioza. Yeah. I miss her a lot, and like, she wasn't even on camera. I think it was just voiceover ADR work here. Um, but it, it just reminded me, like, we haven't seen her in a really long time, and I miss her. I mean, it's only been, like, two or three episodes. That's so. my point. I mean, yeah, I do miss her, and I'm very worried about her. Yeah, so. it's true. Um, so it's confirmed here, there's a couple of things. So it's confirmed that the Bardoans live underground, which we'd kind of already realized based on the opening credits when mm-hmm. it was saying that the air wasn't breathable outside. Yeah. Um, you but could this, see, you could see like the little shaft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is just kind of, uh, clarifying that and they have a really nice setup. They have an underground forest, which is pretty bamf, not gonna yeah. lie. Um, we also see here that time does move faster in Bardo in relation to Sanctum, but it moves much slower than time moved on Skyring. Um, so I'm still, I don't quite believe that the 100 knows how these things really line up. I, I don't think that it truly fits what they had um, created last season with Octavia running into the anomaly and then out like five or six seconds later, you know? Yeah, for um, sure. But you know what? You know, I'll, I'll give it to him. <laughs> I, need a, I need a map. Like, do you, do you know the line the in like the order of planets in relation to closest to the sun and farthest from the sun well at this point i mean i don't know about nakara or the unnamed planet or earth i guess i mean earth seems like it's pretty far away yeah um but as far as so sanctum would be the closest to the black hole okay um followed by bardo then followed by um sky ring so those are the three that we know so gotcha. far how time moves there. Gotcha, gotcha. And I think that Sanctum and Earth must be like relatively the same distance because yeah. I think the time lines kind of lined up um, for both well, of Well, we don't know because... Well, we know how long that they'd been on Sanctum and we know how long it was on Earth and how long it took to oh, get there. Oh, I guess there. that's so, true. Yeah, that whole thing lined up pretty I nicely. mean, it might not be exact, but it's like very, very, very close. close. You're right. Um, so they have a little thing here when Octavia first gets into the uh, Anomaly Stone room. They stick her with like a needle and check her blood or check something. And they say that she's clean of it. Yeah, I don't know what this is. It's very weird. I definitely want to talk about this later when Anders has his speech. Because, I mean, it definitely seems like there is some sort of like sickness or disease or like bacteria that they're afraid something of. Something that's like airborne. Yeah. Well, not necessarily airborne. Well, I feel like it has something to do with why the, the air is not breathable. Oh, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Perhaps. Oh, my God. Did I just think of something that you didn't think of? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That could be very true. I guess I was thinking... Oh, you know, I, I was thinking radiation, but that was because I misheard <laughs> in the first time around. I misheard one of the words they were saying, mm. so I thought it was radiation outside. But no, you might be right. There might be... Um, 
something in the air that they can't a, breathe. A novel virus? A novel virus. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> too soon, too soon. Um, the, the structure and the layout of this compound and the arboretum inside and everything really reminds me of the Hunger Games, especially in the last book when they go to... Crap. I can't remember what they're... The, the, the last, city. The, the 13th <laughs> whatever that was supposedly like... District. Nuked. The 13th um, district, district. District 13, yeah. yeah. Uh, it just has some really c- cool Hunger Games vibes here. Really playing off that dystopian Well, vibes. and especially, too, with the, like, all-white lab rooms. That's definitely calling to mind the movies as yeah, well. Exactly. Um, so the voice in the elevator here, as Octavia's running, says that the Bardoans, or I guess they're not really Bardoans, the disciples have conquered their lesser emotions. Yeah, they're and, like Vulcans. Yeah, but like, I haven't seen that, you know, like, I don't feel like that's the way that any of them are being portrayed. No, not at all. So I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Like, they, they all seemed to, like, have their own little personalities. Like, you know, the, the guard later that catches, um, Echo and Gabriel and, um, hope and like makes them come join her group and like there's like a guy in the crowd who notices that echo looks kind of suspicious and like you know levitt is kind of a puppy dog and anders is a psychopath a psychopath (laughs) exactly um so like i i think they all have their own personalities in a way that i wouldn't have expected um with a society that has like quote-unquote conquered their emotions yeah i'm wondering if it's like less about like suppressing personality and more about just like extreme discipline and like extreme order yeah um because we see here there is this theory this is idea of the collective over the individual um and i'm wondering if that just means that like there is this drive to be sort of selfless um when thinking of yourself in regards to others so i'm wondering if that's what they're talking about yeah um yeah, I guess we'll find out hopefully pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Octavia's like running through the forest and she gets like knocked out of the air by something. And I don't know if we're meant to assume it's a time pirate or if there's like some sort of security system they can turn on in this. So I, so we were talking about this, but then when I watched it again the second time, it's pretty clear that some guy who in a ghost suit like used his arm to like knock her out knock her out and that's why she like like it literally took the breath from her body knocked the air out of her lungs it just seemed odd because they took the rest of the time pirates took so long to get over to her and like surround her like she was just lying there for like a few minutes before someone put his shoe on her chest um so i had thought like if there was a time pirate there wouldn't he have tried to restrain her maybe he was like She's she's already been knocked out. Yeah, enough, she's I get like, it. Can't breathe. <laughs> um, but we do have this guy who like leans over Octavia and is like, "Welcome to Bardo." And like as you joked at the beginning of this episode, that is an extremely implied bitch at the end of that. Oh yeah. But I will say that I don't like men calling women bitches, so I appreciate that he had his restraint here. Yes, it was like <laughs> it was it was fine enough with the implied uh-huh. <laughs> we can leave it at that but it definitely was implied yeah <laughs> for sure um okay so switching gears here to sanctum you know we see indra she's in a tough spot now that clark and crew have evacuated the planet or the moon does she even know where they went no yeah like is she like so i don't know where clark is so i right. guess i'll just we don't do know this. where they are uh <laughs> and indra's just like you know filling a vacuum here of leadership and it's not great you know, she's inherited a, t- a tough spot. Yeah. It's not fun, this job. <laughs> Leadership kind of sucks. 
Yeah, I, you know, first off, I do approve um, that the faithful recognize that Clark is in charge because she is. But at the same time, I think one of the irritations I have with this whole season thus far is that Clark um, feels like she's been like pushed to the side of her own show. You know, she's only been in three of the five episodes and she only had like a major role, I think, in the first one, honestly. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I, I feel like on top of there being a Bellamy-shaped hole, there's also a Clark-shaped hole in this season. Apparently, we only have room for one of them at a time. It's, it's just... No, no, <laughs> we only have room for both of them or none. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just... It's been... It's a weird choice. Um, It's a weird choice for them, and I think that in many ways, they've stretched themselves too thin. I... I honestly believe we could have skipped out on a lot of the Sanctum story um, this season. Oh my god, You know, yes. I get why it's there, and I think it's obviously realistic that it's happening, but, like, the, 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 the planet-hopping story is enough plot in and of itself. Absolutely. <laughs> but, no, we're, we're still full steam ahead in the uh, Sanctum storyline, and I will say that this is the first episode that I've, like, actually felt like the Sanctum storyline was propelled forward in a way, um, or at least in a way that, like, I was interested in. Yeah, I, we can talk about this later on. Okay. Um, as, as the stakes get higher and higher with that part, I have thoughts. Okay. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Has there ever, in the history of this show, been a character as annoying as Trey? (laughs) It's a really good question. And it, 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 um, requires some serious consideration. Uh-huh. <laughs> I need to ponder. I mean, at first maybe I was... Maybe Riley. I was like, maybe Riley, but then I was but like, like mm. not really. <laughs> I don't know. Trey is obnoxious. And I think that is a symptom of why the Sanctum storyline feels so boring and also at the same time annoying. It's like, it's not even boring. It's like actively irritating me. And that's because so many of the characters that it features are inherently acting against their own self-interest in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways um or at least in ways that I vehemently disagree with and so I am very frustrated by this plot line and Trey is the number one symbol of that problem I think with you know Riley he was only in a couple of episodes so he didn't take up much space but I swear Trey is just like always around (laughs) yes and in the same way that like some actors and some characters they like take up all the air in a scene but in a good way Mm -hmm. it's like you can't take your eyes off of them Trey sucks up all the air in a scene in the worst way and I don't mean this as like a um like it's not about the actor yeah it's not the actor or his choices that he's making he's doing what is required of him and that is on the page I mean he's supposed to be an annoying character he is doing it very well too well um I think the, the writing and the pacing of these episodes is what's flawed I, I will actually say I think Nelson, um, flipped wise, is one of those characters. I just find him very um, magnetic to watch. Oh my god! I just Absolutely. I mean, aside from the fact that he's gorgeous, beautiful, um, but I also just I think he's a really intriguing person. And in this episode, he gets his chance to shine too. Well, it's like not even just the, about the fact that he is intriguing, which he is, and very multifaceted. I think, but it's like he's one of those characters where like he he's on the screen and you can't help watch him well yeah that's what I'm saying he's enigmatic like Mm -hmm. it's like this sort of like ineffable quality he's great (laughs) um so Trey tells Indra that they have had peace before before Indra's people uh destroyed that my question is I mean 
I think this is this is a good thing to discuss. How much does peace matter versus truth? Because everything that our characters are saying this season is like, we want peace, we want peace, we want peace. But like, peace doesn't necessarily mean it's a good peace. You know what I mean? Well, it's it's peace for a specific point, like population of people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's the same way that we can view our own sort of cultural moment we're having right now where we're like oh my god 2020 is the worst we're like black lives matter people are being killed and it's like people have always been killed we just weren't talking about it yeah and in like the same way in this show it's like we had peace we had peace and it's like you never had peace you were murdering people you just didn't care yeah um and so again it's this like just a matter of perspective and like shifting the veil of reality that is causing a lot of this tension that maybe we should stop and like evaluate Trey. Yeah, you know, I kind of almost wish last season, and they did delve into this a little bit, but I wish they had delved into this idea further about how um, peace can also be um, an evil as much as a good. Um, And how peace is like in many ways kind of a system of oppression that keeps people from acting in their own best interest yeah or fighting for more freedom mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah disagree trey or at least I, I will say i agree that you had peace i just don't think it was a good piece i just don't think it's worth again it's it's like we don't want to go back to normal yeah. you you murdered a bunch of babies so <laughs> you murdered hundreds if not thousands of people like yeah well yeah i mean it was a murderous system the the like prime system at least i mean it wasn't as murderous as the leaving of the babies. Yeah, that was know? real bad. So so Trey here is he's like super gung-ho about this like self-immolation tactic, mm-hmm. volunteering all of his um believers, the faithful, to burn themselves on fire. And I'm like, if you're so uh, gung-ho about this, why don't you just let yourself on fire, Trey? Save us a lot of pain and trouble. <laughs> oh no, Trey. Oh, you're gonna kill yourself as I'm, you know, telling you that Russell can't be released. Ugh. Darn! Don't. <laughs> you know? No, I do not condone. I can. I do not condone suicide. I do not. Um, no. But, but if I, anyone on this show is going to burn themselves I do, alive, I do think there's a, a a point to be made here about the like performative um belief versus like actual belief because Trey is like all about the performance and like he's like posturing here but when it gets down to it like he's not actually lighting himself on fire he's letting other people do that burden for him so like Trey is a problem that I wish could go away I mean hopefully he will soon maybe he won't be in the season much longer yeah I mean it does seem like at least at the end of this episode that the faithful's problem is cracked down on a little bit. A little bit. Um, so I think maybe we'll start exploring more of like the children of Gabriel and the prisoners after this. I would hope so because it's time. Yeah. Um, um, I will say I was wrong in our trailer recap. I truly thought this was a man burning himself alive. And I was like, everyone thinks it's a woman, but I think it's a man. I was wrong. It is a woman. It's a lady. <laughs> it's a lady. And she's dead. Um, but also, like, can we just not, guys? Can we just, like, not with the fire? You I know. know. Sarah's really done with the fire. I like, And they just keep doing it. I know. I know. it. Well, it's like a thing on their... I know. This is like a, a standard practice over here. <laughs> um, so Indra calls Trey's bluff and then has to watch as her choice leads to an immediate death. Um, this poor girl's. And, like, she certainly seems shook. Like, she really, I don't think she really thought they were going to go through with it. Or maybe she did think they were going to go through with it, but, like, just seeing it actually play out sure. horrified her, of course. 
And I'm wondering if this is going to have like a substantial impact on her or if she'll feel any guilt about this or if she's just going to take it like Indra usually does as another side effect of, of uh, politics and of conflict. I absolutely don't think Indra's going to carry any guilt about this. I don't think she wants it to happen. Um, she wants to stop it, but I don't think Indra's the kind of person who places the onus of other people's actions on herself. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I was just, I thought it was like worth noting that like, I guess in particular, Adina Porter's um, facial reaction in this scene was so good. You could really see her processing this. This whole scene, in fact, rewinding a little bit, I just want to say when like Nelson challenged Indra and Indra kind of like got up in his face, I was like, damn, Nelson better back away. I know. He was like, oh, he's like, what are you going to do about it? And then she just like glares at him and you're like, oh, yes, yes, I will (laughs) back down. (laughs) Yes, Indra, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Speaking of my man, Nelson, uh, he sees this poor girl light herself on fire and without blinking leaps into action to rescue her um it's too late though because she's dead because she's on fire she's dead dead (laughs) dead um but it was very sweet it was very heroic and i like nelson i mean just like coming in with the the surprises i know who would have expected that look how gentle he is he has a soft side yeah he's like you know like candy with like a nougat center (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, so later on, we're down in the medical lab. Um, Nelson's there. He's getting checked out more ways than one. I should stop. <laughs> Objectifying Nelson. Objectifying Nelson. I don't think you should stop. <laughs> this is our podcast. We can do what we like. <laughs> and in this podcast, we stand Nelson. In this podcast, we do objectify everyone. I think we're pretty equal. Pretty opportunity. equal. Um, but there's a nice little scene here where Amori questions Nelson about, um, jumping in to save, uh, one of the faithful because, you know, they were among the ones who cast him out and he's like, well, they're still my people. And I just kind of like how that ties into obviously what happened, um, to Amori when she was thrown out for having, um, uh, freak Drena, a freak Drena for having a mutation, um, on her hand and, she never, or at least we never really saw her deal with that and deal with what it means um, that her family threw her away. Although we have seen how important her new family has become. So I think you can kind of infer um, how she feels about it. But I, I just like that the show doesn't usually forget this. Like they've brought up Amori's backstory um, several times and I always appreciate it. Yeah, and I also like it as um, as an opportunity for Amori to sort of look at her trauma which it is um through the lens of someone else who has experienced similar trauma and who has clearly processed it differently than her and come to a I think more cathartic or at least healthier place regarding those who um are part of the group of people who mistreated them and it might be I mean we we, we may not return to this but I like the idea of of Amori learning from other people different ways of processing this trauma and coming out a little bit better Mm -hmm. and a little bit healthier for it um and that like you don't have to hold on to that anger yeah and you can let it go and it and it's okay you don't have to forgive them but you don't have to let them still affect you yeah um and I really like this it's a tiny beat but it's great agreed um there's a great line from Indra Balin all over this episode (laughs) man Really, it's her time to shine. She um, tells Jackson that faith isn't the problem, 
blind faith is. And I think like what an excellent encapsulation of what the true problem is and, and the hundred stance on organized religion. Mm-hmm. Truly. Or, or not, not organized religion specifically. It's just um, not questioning mm-hmm. when you're, when you're, when you believe, like yeah. I think um, a lot of belief systems have that idea of questioning uh, built in because it makes you, uh, it makes you a much smarter and stronger believer when you're able to answer those questions for yourself. But you know, with these, with these, you know, faithful not at all questioning, even though they have been told, honestly, like wasn't it by Russell? I guess maybe not. Maybe they were told by other people that Russell and the Primes have been just murdering you and coming back on these mind chips that they created a couple hundred years ago. They're just men slash women yeah they are not real gods yeah I guess when I said organized religion what I really meant was cults um, yeah okay yeah. <laughs> and I, I should have just said that <laughs> isn't the hundred really just a series of cults kind of battling it out to like be the top cult <laughs> what is a cult if not organized faith that is oh, the question we're gonna get circling down too deep here <laughs> um so so look I get that we're not supposed to agree with a Murphy here about like letting the faithful all kill themselves i get it but at the same time i'm like look murphy's right and he should say it (laughs) except the kids just live and let die do not burn the kids alive no i mean (laughs) i think it's it it plays for a laugh because that's true right Mm -hmm. they are annoying we wish they could just off themselves and get rid of themselves so that they like are stop being so annoying or can they just like walk off into the forest and disappear um (laughs) never to be seen again you know that's why this plays funny is because there is a grain of truth in it but i think ultimately like no we want to save them in in whatever way they can be saved from themselves i know i know i know you know (laughs) But it's annoying. It's very <laughs> annoying. We have covered how annoying this stupid plotline is. I will say though, uh, Shade Hada, Shade Hada, Shade Hedda acting like Russell is truly a gift. He's like, oh gosh, yes, I feel awful about of it. Of course, I feel bad. Yeah, like, Russell is like, let me talk them down, and then Indra's like, um, no, Russell, like. I'm shut up and sit down. I got this. Well, also, like, Russell was a messy bitch who lived for drama, but, like, he's nowhere close to Shade Hedda. No. So just, like, the level of drama and every single thing Shade Hedda says is, it's just so good. And it's, like, as as wonderful it was that Shade Hedda plopped into Russell's body and, like, the, the position that affords him and this beautiful cult that already follows him and, like, all of these things, he doesn't know Russell, like, that well. And so he, like, doesn't know how to calibrate his... Um, his um, shade headedness. No, he doesn't know how to calibrate like his reactions as Ru- sure, Russell, sure. and so it, they just also come off as ridiculous because it's not Russell. I mean, Russell was pretty ridiculous <laughs> he was, too. He was, he was. He really drunk his own Kool Aid. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Um. Also wanted to call out that they so they, they they come up with this plan that they need another prime to go in there and like calm them down because obviously we're not sending Russell back in there after last time. It was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and so Amori in Clark's absence, immediately volunteers herself. Um, and of course, though, she, you know, she's too sick to do anything because of the last time she volunteered herself. <laughs> so Murphy has to do it instead. Yeah, you know, I do like first off that Murphy at least stopped Amori from doing anything because, 
Last episode, I was, not last episode, I guess it was two episodes ago, I was irritated that Amori was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go in there, and, and Murphy didn't even try to, like... Just whistling with his hands yeah. in his pockets. <laughs> and so, like, he's, like, worried, he's always worried about her, but it doesn't seem like he's worried enough to, like, do things in her place. Right. Um, and I know here that he kind of gets, like, forced into it, but I don't know, it feels a little bit better to me than it, it usually It feels does. like growth. Yeah. It's progress for sure. I think credit where credit is due. Um, yeah. And there's a great delivery from Station Sayhill, uh, who plays Jackson, who goes, you know, Murphy is cleared for duty. So he's going to prime himself right up. Yeah. Um, and then Murphy on his way out says that he's getting tired of being the hero. And I'm just like, um, when was the last time you were actually a hero, Murphy? Because I can't recall. It's it's definitely hard to to consider right like i, I mean, know you're kind I mean, of joking but like you're you're selfish <laughs> him being the hero like in and of himself like he and amori together have done things sure but, but let's they've be been, honest exactly they've been led by amori exactly um so yeah i mean i might be forgetting something um you know like he, yes he helped hatch in episode three but like raven forced him into it like he he just tends to get forced into things and i don't consider that very heroic right that's not altruism yeah that's being frog marched into something um but i also wanted to just note here that the cleared for duty line um is just again kind of reinforcing this idea that jackson and murphy are not okay right now Jackson, like, is not pleased that Murphy is around and being, you know, being Murphy. Yeah. No, he's ready. He's uh, ready to have Murphy cut down a peg. Yeah. Or two. Um, but let's move on. Mm-hmm. So Octavia wakes up strapped to a chair in a white room in Bardo. New characters Levitt and Anders are questioning Octavia, and she resists, but ultimately they're able to pull an image of Bellamy out of her head. And back on Sanctum, Murphy goes to talk to the faithful, but when he sees them preparing a child to be burned alive next, he decides to put a stop to it. But before he can get out of the tavern with all the children, Daniel's old boyfriend Zev reveals Murphy as a false god. Then they decide to burn Murphy instead. Again with the burning. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we get into anything here, I just have to say the costume design for the disciples and everything on Bardo, um, including the set design and just like the general aesthetic, is amazing. <laughs> this is like amazing costume and design work here. Um, in tandem with each other, because those are two different departments. Um, they look so futuristic. They all have these like geometric patterns. You can see like this quilting done on their jackets that kind of matches the like beehive geometric or like hexagonal shapes on the helmets. There's like obviously like a theme tying everything together. They have all these white, very clean lines. It just is great work. It yeah. should be celebrated. I agree. I've got nothing to add to that, I'm shockingly. Just, I'm just adding uh -huh. here. Okay, you can go ahead. Um, I guess I'll do my spiel now, and okay. it's that their technology is incredible. And, you know, on one hand, it could be because uh, the Bardo moves faster than, like, Earth and Sanctum, and so they've had more years to develop things. Yeah. But second off, it sounds like a lot of this tech, or maybe all of it, was actually Bardoan tech yeah. from the people who were there before him or before them. Um, and so I think they're really creating a mystery, too, about who these Bardoans were, what happened to them, um, and how that relates to what's going on with the disciples. Yeah, 100%. I definitely agree that there is a mystery inside of a mystery here. And again, like that's plenty of plot to be getting along with. Absolutely. Way too much plot, actually. <laughs> um, 
but I'm into it. Yeah. And I'm excited about it. And I love this tech too. Yeah. So uh, we see MCAP in action here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can apparently lobotomize yourself if you fight it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, we, I think we're all going to be pretty sure now that that's what happened to Dioza, right? I, mean, I feel like, yes. And there are other signs that throughout this episode that point to her not being herself. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't, we don't know yet. And hopefully we'll find out soon. Although maybe I don't want to find out. I don't. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that's what happened to her, especially because, uh, Zioza probably didn't have a Levitt on her side. So. Probably not, which is a shame. Yeah, it is. It is a shame. Uh, immediately, you can tell that we're supposed to have a level of sympathy with Levitt because they keep kind of comparing him to Anders, who's like very cold and very hard and is like, I don't care if she hurts herself. I don't care if she's lobotomized. I need my answers. Right, right. That's exactly what he sounds like. Um, and Levitt's like spot mm-hmm. on impersonation. Yeah, thank you. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anders is like, I mean, Levitt's like, we have like a way of doing things here. And yeah. Anders is like, is this routine? Is it? <laughs> um, but Levitt is a level 11. It's crazy. So yeah, it's interesting to me that he like came this far up. What I'm assuming is a ladder. Like, you know, you have to like go through all the levels. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Um, but he's come this far up to level 11 and he still seems pretty swayable um, to our side. You know, like yeah. he, he he kind of comes in already being uh, very sympathetic to Octavia. I mean, who wouldn't be? But okay. I actually have to wonder if that's be- like the nature of his job of questioning people and seeing inside their minds. Like in many ways, he is a, a psychologist or a therapist um, or at least like a, a cataloger, a ca- cataloger or researcher um, in a way that he's always forced to get a deeper understanding into a bunch of people's minds and psyches and so like that has primed him to be more accepting of differences than perhaps some of the other Bardoans might be. I absolutely agree with you and I think it's really interesting that they have this system in place to have these evals, psych evals um, on their on their own people and um, just like what is it about the nature of their work that would require them to have these sort of standard check-ins and you know what kind of um what kind of uh, um like education or like preparation does like somebody like Levitt in Levitt's job have to go through in order to be like cleared for this kind of duty mm-hmm. um and maybe that's part of why he is so sympathetic to Octavia because he had to do some like psych classes or therapeutic like techniques or something yeah maybe I am curious to um kind of in line with what you said about why they need to constantly do this with their own people yeah it's like I don't it's not like there are any differing ideas really in Bardo it doesn't seem like it at least um so I'm curious and like and I would assume if there were they would stamp those out pretty quickly um that's kind of what they they seem to be like well Um, exactly I think this might be the way they stamp them out maybe maybe but like even so like it's not like where you're on earth when there's you know there's just like a bunch of different kinds of people wanting different things or even on the arc which i think is the same kind of strategy uh, so what's the love what's the word i'm looking structure. for um structure or like class system that they mm-hmm. have working i don't know if i would consider what i've seen in bardo at this point a class system because it feels very much like um 
like military levels almost like that you just work your way up to mm-hmm. um so it's like not like there's an unfairness that people are, are imagining um so I'm, I, I don't know I'm just I'm just wondering because they're so isolated and they all seem to believe the same thing like what wh- where are the differences yeah that they're checking for it's a good question and I like um it's fun when we the audience know the answers to things that characters don't know on the show like when Anders is like what does she know about um the key what does she know about the stones what does she know about this and like uh, us as the audience we're like I know I know like that rarely happens in this show I know that she knows absolutely nothing about the stones sorry Andrew. yeah sorry bud but literally you're up a creek. <laughs> literally none of the people back on Sanctum know anything about the stones well yeah because they're from earth <laughs> well, I, yeah so, I mean like this it's the stones are not ours the right. stones are apparently not theirs either the Bardoans or the the disciples um, so I, they I, may be the Bardoans. We don't know. Well, yeah, they might be the Bardoans. Sorry, I, I yeah. meant the disciples. I'm gonna have to differentiate between them now. Mm-hmm. Um, but to clarify, so the disciples they do know about other planets, right? Like they definitely know about Skyring, but do they know about Sanctum? Because later on, um, yeah, they must know about Sanctum because Lovett says later Sanctum, I presume, when they're like plugging in the keys for where they want to send Octavia. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so I'm saying they either learned about Sanctum from Octavia and now know where it is, or they already knew about it. If they had learned about it from Octavia, I have a hard time believing they could just like find it. Um, but if they already knew about it and they knew about all of these people and they knew, you know, that you could live on this planet, um, why would they choose to live underground? I'm just, I'm so confused about the choices that the disciples have been making. I feel like I could be way off here, but I feel like the reason they don't leave Bardo is because this is where the shepherd brought them and this is where they're meant to stay. Maybe. Um, I think it is less practical than maybe you are imagining and more spiritual. Perhaps. Um, but either way, it's it wouldn't be a shock as to where Octavia and Dioza came from, because people have come from Sanctum to Skyring before. We saw that there, we didn't see, but we've heard that they used to like send people over. Um, and surely, like body was would have been left over once they die. You know, like I just I don't know. I'm I'm very confused about what they know and their reasonings behind staying here. And like for example, if what they're looking for is like flame technology. Um, they could have just popped over to Sanctum and talked to the Primes and gotten their stuff, you know, wrapped right up there. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, such a good point, and I, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know either. But we'll find out soon, hopefully. I keep thinking like this is the last season. Surely they're gonna give us all the answers. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so <laughs> that big ass needle that like kind of comes down on Octavia is terrifying. And I also don't understand the point of it. Well, I actually don't. (laughs) No pun intended. Um, I don't think it's a needle. I think it's a like almost like an antenna and it it is like taking all of the, we'll just call them rays, Mm -hmm. energy rays and directing it onto her brain. Oh, maybe it's not a needle. Okay. Okay. I'm good with that. I thought they were like threatening her with no, like. No, no. It's like a direct. It's like to direct the beams of the rays into I got her you, I got cranium. You. Interesting. Still terrifying. I'm feeling great about this episode, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when I have 12 hours to prepare for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so when Octavia's memories start like leaking out of her, one of them is about Allie. Um, it's something that Clark says that I didn't actually catch and we couldn't go back to look at it because we're on a clock. <laughs> so um, it's definitely something though about Allie. And I think that I was just, I just wanted to point out that they chose that specific one. Sure. Um, and in fact, they've, they've really uh, focused a lot on Allie and the City of Light in this episode. So you know yeah just, just gonna a lot leave it of, there a lot of season three yeah a lot of um clark in the city of light a lot of clark and Allie. oh shoot i just realized the reason that they gave uh that clark's image on the in their like system her profile pic is of season three is because that's only as far as they've gotten yeah <laughs> they haven't gotten to the better hair <laughs> right they, that's that's as far as um levitt could get yeah in his binge watch <laughs> Um, but of course, the first person that uh, Levitt locks into in Octavia's memories is Bellamy, because that is the person who is the core part of who she is and her identity. And I would expect nothing else. Yeah. I mean, like, it's Bellamy is Bellamy, and especially seeing how hard she fought to return to Bellamy back in episode two. Um, I think all of the Blake sibling interactions in this episode, all the one, but then also kind of like this as well. Um, just hit me a little bit harder because we saw, you know, how, how long it's been for Octavia with her having all of her memories. You know, like last season, she didn't realize that she'd been gone for like 10 plus years, you know? Totally. Um, but this is like when she's seeing Bellamy with all of her memories back and it, it's it's like a very nice moment. Mm-hmm. I'm skipping ahead here, but... <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's really sweet. I think, you know, as much as you and I debated on the merits of Octavia choosing to continue to try and like escape um skyring skyring uh i think watching her do that and then seeing them reunited really does sort of underline that emotional um thread yeah which i really appreciate um so switching gears here to sanctum again uh indra and murphy they just have to like walk through the grander camp to get to the tavern but that goddamn annoying asshole from Sangeta crew just like harasses the shit out of them again and i'm just like shut the fuck up dude like sir get a function seriously get a life <laughs> i i just i don't know like can Sang- like what about all of the other clans do they agree with Sangeta crew i just i don't understand they're like sheep I mean, they're all like sheep. People are like sheep. I know. Um, we're all we're all sheep, but but like I, I'm I'm curious what everyone else from one crew thinks. It can't they can't all feel the same as the same get a crew. Guy. I don't think so, but I just don't think that they they're like united enough or like to like do anything about it. You know. I mean, like your clans, quote unquote, your old clans are not big enough for you to survive on this planet. Like you need also, to band together. Think of what you've come come through like you travel you went you were cryo frozen you traveled through like 125 years of space you're on an alien moon and you're still <laughs> obsessed with your like grounder alliances <laughs> like guys take stock of the situation <laughs> just like come on yeah um anyway so murphy's always been a morally gray cockroach we know this mm-hmm. um it is nice to see though that even he has standards when it comes to killing children well i wanted to jump in it's kind of interesting to see how he's evolved from season one all the way to now because who was that little girl that died in season oh, one? oh yeah um shit what was her name 
I don't remember now. It's mm. been so long. Um, but the girl who died in season four of uh, or of, of episode four of season, season one, one. Um, when Murphy was kind of just like let her die, she was the one who killed Wells, um, and yeah. Murphy had gotten blamed for it. And so when he found out that it was really her, he like kind of went on a mission to kill her. Yeah, it was it was very disturbing. And obviously, Murphy was um, quite different in season one. Oh, a bit. They did a lot of work with him, and even still, he's he's not Got perfect. Got some ways to go. Uh, but Charlotte, so, her name was Charlotte. Charlotte. Yes. So he wanted Charlotte to die, and now here he's like, children, how dare? <laughs> yes, of course. And I mean, I think that's the point, right? Is like there has been some progress. Yeah. We can track some progress. Now, I don't think as much as I want, um, but that's some. And you know, it is true that like he does, you know, he they had a plan. He was going to stay outside so that Indra could cover him. But when he sees the kids, he just, like, barges right on through, throws plan A away, immediately deviates, which in then it directly puts himself in danger. And I do think that is heroic. So, like, yes. in an odd turn of events, he is playing the hero in this episode, which I really like. Yeah, I mean, Murphy, I like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he was forced into doing this, but I think what he ends up doing does turn into be a very heroic, I mean... Low bar. Low but bar. You're saving kids. <laughs> yeah. But again, with Murphy, you never know. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he does tell them, you should be ashamed. And it's like, you no. know it's bad when Murphy is shaming you. <laughs> you should all be ashamed of, of yourselves. yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, my God. I just have to say, watching this episode, I was truly horrified by this scene. And I, I personally, I just, I cannot imagine having such blind faith as Indra would call it that you would sacrifice your own child in the most horrific death imaginable for a god and I'm just like I know that they're brainwashed I know this is a cult but like seriously I mean I don't think it's something that I want to understand uh I do know that they've been sacrificing their own children in several ways for many a year now so I just like this was like beyond my own comprehension and also the the level of manipulation that they were going for they were like mm, so this this lady didn't do it for you what if we burn a kid what are you gonna exactly. do exactly i mean they're just like upping it every yeah. single time um but it does seem weird to me i will say so like we see zev come in and he's like daniel and i were close like whatever uh, it just seems weird to me that these people worshipped the primes as gods but that these like quote-unquote gods had intimate relations with them yeah I don't know it just like feels kind of squicky to me <laughs> it's like squicky but like in the same kind of way that like the Greek gods had like relations with humans sure and, and those were bad they were bad exactly I'm saying it's like yeah. kind of the same way like it's the, not the, the power dynamics are so off there that mm-hmm. it just uh, like it doesn't feel good no it does not feel good at all um and it feels worse that Zev is like still so enamored by them and like still so invested in that relationship that he's like willing to again sacrifice himself for people who didn't care about them at all like it's gross yeah it's 34 days ago on bardo and levitt is still questioning octavia but she's still resisting but when octavia accidentally reveals the presence of hope she makes a deal with levitt to help him as long as he leaves hope out of his report and lets octavia go back to her three days later levitt has almost finished season three of the hundred but they're interrupted (laughs) sorry (laughs) But they're interrupted by Hope having just escaped from Skyring. 
Levitt agrees to take Hope and Octavia to the Anomaly Stone and help them leave. To combat the fact that Octavia will soon lose her memories by jumping to a planet with a slower time dilation, he tattoos Hope's mind code on Octavia's back, and then Octavia jumps back to Sanctum while Hope goes to find Dioza. Um, there's a great transition here on Murphy's face as he's about to burn um, in Sanctum to a memory of him in season one when he's in his full cockroach mode. And I do like that juxtaposition. And so you can really, truly get a sense of where, how much where he's come yeah. and how far along he's come. I think it does help for them to remind us about season one Murphy, who was the worst. Garbage. Honestly. Garbage true, human. True trash person. Yes. Um, I do love here that. Uh, Levitt's trying to find out who Murphy is to her, and he asks if uh, he's her lover. And she like yes. the, the like yeah the the machine they have like buzzes yeah. because she's very clearly horrified by that idea. I also like the idea of like Levitt asking this question because he's obviously in love with Octavia and is like boyfriend. You got a boyfriend? Like, <laughs> oh, Levitt. Uh, I also think it's really cool that when Levitt uses the word hope like very casually in a sentence. Um, it triggers Octavia's memories of Hope, the person, um, which is why they spool up the images of Hope on the machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we truly see Octavia's love for Hope in this scene because for the first time in the entire show, Octavia gives up. That is Octavia, such a good point. She never gives up. Um, she will literally fight until she's dead. Yeah. Um, but here she gives up, and she gives up very quickly. Oh, yeah, immediately. And so I think that's both a sign of her maturity, um, but also just a sign of how how deeply she loves Hope and what, what exactly she would do for them. She, like, compromises her, herself, her own soul, to save Hope. I know. I think that's great, and I love that point. Um, and I do love too that Octavia's like, you're not gonna like what you see, uh, when Levitt's about to dive into her memories. And it just feels very reminiscent of Clark, um, back when Dioza was questioning her back in season five, when Dioza's like, How did the world end? And Clark's like, Which time? Yeah. It's just like that thing of like, you have no idea what you're in for. Yeah, there's a lot here. The first yeah. three seasons of the hundred were a lot. Yeah. You didn't even get past season three. Just um, wait till you meet exactly. Ladrina. I'm exactly. sorry, I just took your point. I didn't you even just, notice that was the, <laughs> yeah. the next one. <laughs> My next line was going to be, and then she goes on to say, wait till you meet Ladrina, in which I audibly laughed out loud. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good and also very true. And we saw a little bit of Blood Reina earlier on in this episode when she was just, like, taking people out. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, so I guess Levitt's just been binging this show, hasn't he? Yeah. Like he has watched 11 or three seasons in 11 days, um, which isn't bad. Could be better. But yeah. At this point we could make Levitt an honorary podcaster I with mean, us. He, see, he's got to catch up. He's got, there's got what, four, four more seasons left that he hasn't watched. Yeah. So come on, Levitt. Chop, chop. <laughs> I mean, he lost his TV. <laughs> She's gone. Well, technically... She lost him. He's gone. <laughs> I guess that's true. No, but like she escaped. Oh yeah, the first time. Yeah. Um. When when he's watching um season three and he sees uh Octavia stab Pike and he goes yes. You know I get that he's just like in full on binge mode here and like he is such an Octavia stand that he's like not really understanding this is like an actual person and like a real moment but like that was an interesting reaction because that was not the reaction we had when we watched it absolutely that's not the reaction you're supposed to no, have when you watch not it at all. um i mean like i think the show has made it very clear that you're supposed to be very conflicted about that action yes um and and very worried for what it means to, for octavia mm-hmm. in that moment but i think that 
I mean, he has watched all of the show through Octavia's mind, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that that in some ways colors his perspective of pers- pers- <laughs> his perspective on things um, moving forward. And I mean, obviously, I mean, Pike was a fantastic character. We hated him so much at the time, so much. But it was like that moment that she stabbed him, where it was like, mm. I mean, like that that was like a true turn for her and and for him to be like really excited about that it's like oh yeah I love it it was off you don't even know it was a little off we're about to get to the murder pony (laughs) sky ripper murder pony I mean Octavia he is got some Octavia rose colored glasses on right now (laughs) for sure um in some ways I do feel like Levitt was written to be the kind of fan that the show wants to have um Mm, the kinds of fans who are very like yes awesome that's great whereas what the show has got and what I think the show deserves is a very critical fan set um that loves some things but also isn't afraid to question other things you know what I mean yeah I mean I I hear what you're saying in that like Levitt is clearly a stan Mm -hmm. but I also think like the show has to be self-aware enough and like well-written enough like thoughtful enough in their own writing that they have to know that like what they're going for is some introspection sure. and reflection. And well, I I think where the difference is or the dissonance comes in is where the maybe they don't appreciate the noise level um, that some of the fans use their voices, um, which I think is absolutely fair and warranted, and they should, including us. Um, I think they maybe didn't expect the kind of ver- velocity or veracity ferocity from their fans uh, yes I agree I think that it's actually both though it's a case of yes they're being self-aware and like essentially writing a fan who's binging the show but I think the way that Levitt's written in many ways shows that they're not very self-aware about the the in-depth conversations that their fans want to have sure um no when and this I'm saying is like, that they're self-aware I'm saying like as they write the show like they write the show so thoughtfully like there's no way they cannot expect people to respond thoughtfully you know mm-hmm. so in some ways I see what you're saying with Levitt but I also think it's it's obviously a parody as well oh of course well I mean yes, yes. that's not subtle um because Levitt has become Octavia's number one stan and I love it so much so much (laughs) um but he does say something here to Octavia that I'd like to kind of parse through a little bit um he's telling her that like you're not a killer you're a warrior and you may have lost your way but your heart is pure um so like do you think Octavia's heart is pure how do you how do you feel about Octavia at her core I think pure is a interesting word because I I don't ascribe pure with any kind of moral value to it mm-hmm. or at least not in this case I think people get really caught up with this idea of pure being good or untainted or um perfect or like a paradigm of something um which I think a lot of times in 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 our um culture is true I think that is a a connotation that is very hard to divorce from this idea of the word pure however I think the way that I mean I could be being very generous here but the way that I interpreted this um and the way that I think that Levitt is talking about is that I think he means pure in the sense of again not a moral value but a um strength of conviction and that Octavia has been misguided and has done a lot of very horrible things but the intention was to protect 
the intention was always to save people or save others and um she may have gone about it wrong or very very badly um but the strength of her conviction and the the original intention is pure yeah i i think to add to that i do like that this discussion here um is really highlighting the ways that Octavia has always deeply internalized the idea that she's bad, that she shouldn't exist. Um, I think in a way that's even like pretty subconscious, but just from the fact that like her very existence was a danger to her mother and her brother, um, I think has really affected the way that she's developed. Um, And so, you know, like, yes, she does go to a dark place in seasons four and five um, specifically, but I think that a lot of that comes from this idea that she's bad, that she, like, doesn't deserve to be loved, and so therefore, like, she needs to be useful in other ways. Yeah. Um, And I like that Levitt here is telling her that, like, you're not bad. Like, you've had a really hard life, um, and you may have made some bad choices, but, like, deep down, you wanted to help. You wanted to be good. Um, And so I just like that he's kind of like affirming to her that like you deserve happiness and love because she does. She absolutely does. And I'm, I hope love is the one to give it to her (laughs) so badly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I, I love when we get, I mean, we were talking about this offline. I just, you know, it's crazy to me that we're nearing the end of this series. And like, it's very obvious to me that, Octavia might be my favorite character. Yeah. I mean, outside we, of Bellamy and Clark. We were joking this week and we were like, who would have thunk that, I, that we'd end up with Octavia as one of our favorites? I'm just shocked at it. <laughs> but like, there are, these are the kinds of moments, these are the kinds of character progressions that we were asking for for so long that we finally got last season. And like, they did the work. It's good work. And I'm very happy with it. And I'm happy with where Octavia is. And I'm excited to where she's going to finally end up. And it's very possible. Yeah, there are a lot of ways over the last six plus seasons that I would have um, changed some of Octavia's character arc. But I think ultimately, looking at it on a macro level um, and just seeing where it's going this season, I think it could be one of the most, if not the most, satisfying arcs of the series. For sure. For me, at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. Um, So Hope enters... But at first, they think it's Dioza. And I swear they did something with her voice to make it sound. They did. Like, they definitely fixed her voice in yeah. some way. Yeah. Um, they, they, like, made it sound like Dioza as if, like, the helmet was, like, changing her voice. When really it was just they wanted to shock you. Like, you think it's Dioza, right. but it's Hope. It was just a twist. It's another Dioza. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and I love the way that Octavia acts when she realizes this is Hope and not Dioza. I mean, she's so tender. She reaches out and, like, caresses her face. It's just like we've never seen her this tender. Even when they were on Skyring, she was sweet and very loving and affectionate. But there is this, like, vulnerable tenderness here of somebody who is so desperate to see this person and they finally, like, appear before them. Um... It's just so touching. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It is. It's very sweet. And I mean, it's especially jarring because Octavia, I mean, for her, it's been what? Minutes? 20 days. Yeah. 20. I, I can't remember the, the oh, timeline exactly. Uh, yeah. It was 
34 days ago so she's only been oh she's been there for 11 days right um so that's like not a very long time and hope has already grown up without her yeah and that's devastating uh so levitt love it Levitt is so into everything that's happening like he's like oh my god there is finally some excitement in my life oh my, yes he's like I am so bored and this girl is so exciting and so hot and now she has another friend and I'm so excited yeah it was it was super fun I loved going on Levitt's journey with him yes we uh, are all Levitt we we do get a lot of info dumping here from Levitt um, we first find out that if you travel to a planet with a slower time dilation, you'll lose your memory, which makes absolutely no sense. But I do, crap, I should have written it down. But one of our listeners actually called that um, when we were tweeting back and forth. Um, they had figured out that it's like the slower time you yes. lose your memory. And, yes, someone um, did call that out on Twitter. So sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. We are like trying to push this out really quickly. Um, but you did call it. Uh, I still don't think it makes any sense like but why but you know what whatever um it does it does feel like they are also trying to retcon in the amount of time that Octavia was gone at the end of season six or in the middle of season six Mm -hmm. um I think they're just trying so hard to make that five six ten seconds whatever it was work um stop making it work it's never gonna work (laughs) that's just never going to happen yeah it's a lot um I also feel like the info dumping here and there's a couple of other info dumping moments is just so um clunky Mm -hmm. in this episode I mean we need it because we have no idea what's going on but it feels so unorganic to the way that people actually talk yeah uh it's it just doesn't work for me. Which, again, I, I think we've gotten a lot of that this season. Yeah. Honestly, in episodes three or episodes two, four, and five specifically, there's been like a lot of information thrown at us, which is just one more way that we're saying that the show is trying to do too much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like not only like adding on more and more stuff, but like they have a hard deadline now. Mm-hmm. Like they have to wrap everything up in twelve episodes at this point. Like. There's yeah. a lot to cover. Um, Levitt also introduces the concept of every person having their own mind code, or at least we, we knew this already, but sure. like he's introducing it to them. Um, and he uses ancient Bardo tech that just so happened to be right here in the closet, ready yes, to go. Yes, how convenient. <laughs> uh, and he tattoos Hope's code on Octavia's back. Um, and it's it's just like, who are these ancient Bardoans? You know? know? Like, what? Who, where, where did this tech come from? And I'm also like, they're supposedly humongous, but all their tech and all their tools are human-sized. That's what I was going to say later. I was, like, very irritated by the fact that the Bardoans, as we find out um, when Levitt says that that tattoo fit on a Bardoan's arm. Yeah. Um, is that, like, supposedly they built these compounds, right? Right. But all the doors and stuff are, like, people-sized. Human-sized. Um, it doesn't tech, make any. This make tech any sense. is human sized, so I don't know if they retrofitted it or they just adapted the technology and built their own compound Maybe. on top of it. I'm not sure. I mean, they have been here for a couple hundred years, for so sure, for sure, plus for sure. a few hundred years. Um, so maybe they were able to do some renovations. <laughs> Uh, and I do want to know what happens to the other two out of ten times when you punch in the mind code and the anomaly, the times where it doesn't work out so well. Yeah, I guess. Do you get splinched? Yeah, splinched or your insides come out yeah. like they told Octavia. <laughs> Not cute. No. Not cute. Um, so, yeah. So, Octavia punches Levitt um, to make it look like he wasn't helping them. It's to save him, really. And he is into it. Oh, yeah. Like, he looks like he'd sign up for Octavia to punch him every day and twice on Sunday. Like, he is ready. 
Yeah, he's like, uh, hit me again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so we see Octavia say goodbye to Hope, and then she goes on to apologize for not coming back to rescue her on Skyring, um, but reassures her that she can tell that she's strong and that Dioza would be proud of her. And then Octav- Octavia tells her, I love you, little one. And I just... I think there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, I love, again, how tender Octavia is. I love that even in their very short time interacting with each other and how long it's been for Hope and how different she is as a 20-year-old rather than the 10-year-old she was when Octavia left her, Octavia knows her and knows what kinds of things she's hoping to hear or the kinds of things that will help Hope. Mm -hmm. Like, she knows that telling her that she's strong and that she survived on her own is something that will reassure Hope. She knows that telling her that Dioza would be proud of her is something that would reassure Hope. These are just tiny little gifts that Octavia can give her because she has to leave her again and can't help her. Yeah, well, and also in many ways, it's like she is still talking to Hope like Hope is 10 because Hope has reverted back into her 10-year-old self when she finally sees Octavia again, you know? Totally. Like, every time I go home, I revert to being a really horrible teenager. It's awful. Um... And then she t- she tells Levitt, who responds exactly the same, may we meet again. And guys, I ship it so hard. Again, it takes very little, and there is ample material here. Yeah. The ship has sailed. I am on board. There is wind in my sails. I'm flying. Yeah. Soaring. I'm, I'm still, I am a little sad that the Octavia uh, Gabriel ship never sailed, because that could have been great. But I like- mean... They literally cut to the scene of Octavia running out of the anomaly and then into Gabe's arms. And I'm like, damn it. I know. All the ships. I'm so confused because I really shipped her and Gabriel so hard. We could have had it all. Yeah, no. (laughs) But I do love Levitt, too. I mean, I love Levitt. I'm not mad about Levitt. And I will ship them forever. But I I'm sad about the Gabriel Octavia ship yeah. that never sailed. The one thing about, I mean, I love the Levitt ship. I'm glad that it seems like they're going in a ship direction because they haven't really had a, a, a real ship in a long time. A long time. Um, but I will say I never really like the idea when they like throw a character in at like the 11th hour um, as an endgame ship for a character, you know? That's true. I genuine, generally tend to agree with you. It always reminds me of um, the last season of Charmed where they like finally yeah. gave uh, crap, help me. Phoebe. Phoebe, her like Cupid. And we'd known him for like literally one episode. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> we have this like epic love story with Cole and then you're just going to give me this Cupid at the end? Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, but I agree. I do feel like there's enough time. This is like early enough in this season that we can build something substantial enough that I can truly get behind with Yeah, them. yeah. So it's present day in Bardo when Hope, Echo, Gabriel run through the anomaly. Their plan is screwed now without Orlando, but Hope and Echo are determined to do it anyway. But as they're going to the MCAP lab, they get pulled into a disciple rally instead, where Anders is speaking. Hope wants to kill Anders. It's clear they have history, but Echo stops her. We then flash back to Hope about to go on her mission to bring back Octavia. When Octavia finally pulls Hope through the anomaly, Anders then sends Captain Meredith off to capture Clark and also tells him to kill Hope at the end of their mission. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting that upon arrival, um, someone stabs the conductor immediately, and Gabe assumes that it's Echo, um, be- I think because she was so, like, trigger-happy back on Skyring and was, like, <laughs> murdering people at large. Um, but it's actually Hope um, who is the murderer here. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> 
I mean, Hope got a taste for killing. I guess. I guess. She killed once last episode, and suddenly it's like, I'm going to murder everybody. Well, I think it's actually, I mean, we're joking around, but I do think it's it's probably because the, the intensity of the situation, like, we've, we have watched her already do this once and fail. Um, and so I think the desperation to do it again and succeed is so high and truly numbing her to everything but the the mission um that she's not really dealing with the idea of of actual killing well sure but she also broke the seal in the sense that like she killed once and now that she knows she can do it it's not emotionally affecting her in the same way which isn't a good thing but i mean i i do think that that is stemming from like her being so determined to save her family at this point definitely um, especially after what happened last time so um, so my question is, why would Hope have told Echo about Levitt, but not Gabriel? I have no idea. You had five years to run drills on this, and you guys didn't mention Levitt to, Ga- to Gabriel? To Ga- like, it's like I could understand maybe hiding that from Orlando, um, because they don't want to like throw Levitt under the bus. But for Gabriel not to know it, it's just, and it's like, why wouldn't he? You know, it doesn't seem like it should be that secret to him. I have him. no idea. I don't get it. Guys, if you understand this, please let us know because we don't get it. Um, But the situation has very much gotten ahead of Gabriel. He, like, doesn't want to hurt anyone. And now Echo and Hope are just, like, murdering people willy-nilly. And he's like, guys, can we just, like, chill for a second? Stop with the murdering. (laughs) I know. He's very much like that, like, like dopey scientist who's just like, I just want to know how time travel works. Like, (laughs) I don't want to murder anybody. Um, and I do, I do have to say, I love a good classic undercover trope, you know, where you have a mission, but then it's disrupted because you look like the people you're impersonating and you have to like fall in line uh-huh. and have to go to this rally and it's who knows what this rally is. Classic. Classic. Classic <laughs> undercover op. So yeah, there is this like weird sort of rally going on, um, in the Arboretum and I wonder how often they have these, if these are just like a normal um, kind of like group meeting every every week or so, um, or if this was for something special. Yeah, it sounds like it was almost a graduation because they said the new level of... Yeah, but he said at the beginning, he's like, before I forget to mention it, you know, I wanted to give like oh, a... Oh, yeah, that's true. So it was like almost like an aside that the level nines had graduated. Yeah, I don't know if this is just like a weekly thing, a monthly thing, yearly yeah. thing. Unclear. I also think there's a lot of cults on this show that have PA systems. They, they do. I mean, why not? You know, if you're going to be a cult, you need to have a disembodied voice speaking you to do. you. Uh <laughs> Um, I will say Anders is called the first disciple and I'm trying to figure out what that could mean if it's just like he's the leader of the disciples or if he has something to do with like following Cadigan when they were back on earth or or if he's like the descendant of 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 his first disciple Cadigan's first disciple yeah I have cycled through all of those possibilities I don't know but I think I think they're it's really interesting and I want to know what that means Yeah, because I, I do, it's curious. I'm like, if it's just like a, like a nomenclature kind of thing where it's like the first is just like the leader, mm-hmm. um, or middle management, if you will. <laughs> and, or if it's actually like literal, like the first disciple. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll find out. Um, and Anders has confirmed finally, uh, that the disciples got from Bardo uh, or got to Bardo from Earth because Earth had its own anomaly stone. So we know now that they're not Allegis. Um, 
and that obviously means their second dawn. Like, I mean, they haven't said it, but like, we all know. Yes. We, we all know that their second dawn now. I don't know what happened to Allegius 3. I don't either. I guess it's possible this wasn't one of the planets they were going to. It's possible, or it's possible that they got here after the second dawn people and then were assimilated into them. Uh, possible, but I think um, timeline-wise, Allegius 3 should have gotten there before second dawn did. No, I see what you're saying. Um, But I, I like wonder, like, did the Allegius people like get there when the Bardoans were still there um and did they have to like deal with that is that why the Bardoans went extinct maybe um, did the second dawn or did the Allegius people get out before or like after the Bardoans went, went extinct but then like they also went Perished. extinct in the same way like there's a lot of questions here um and I can't wait to find out I know it's a lot uh, Anders also says that the Bardoans who lived here before destroyed their world and then, quote-unquote, were wiped out by Gen 9 and turned into crystal giants. So this is a very weird statement. Um, Indeed. First off, I think that Gen 9 must be some sort of disease. Like, as you had mentioned at the beginning, the airborne disease that they maybe were testing Octavia for when she first got to Bardo. Yeah, it's so funny because... <laughs> You interpreted this as a disease, which I actually think you're right. But when I heard it, I thought they were talking about Generation 9. And mm-hmm. I was like, did, did was there something that happened in their, like, ge- generations before them, in their ninth generation, that, like, led to the extinction of the pop- the original population of the planet? So, I don't know. Maybe they are one and the same. Well, he, they said specifically wiped out by Gen 9. Yes. It, so, like, it makes it seem like that is the thing that wiped them out. So I don't know if that makes well, any I, sense that it was a generation. Well, but, like, it could have been, like, they, like, genocide killed them, too. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, that's possible. I'm just saying, like, I, there's a couple of ways of interpreting this, and I don't know. I really feel like it's a virus. I feel like um, you're probably of some right. Sort. I don't know what it means that they turned into crystal giants. I don't know if that, like, means that they literally crystallized yeah maybe they fossilized or something because of the virus i don't know but i'm just imagining them as the trolls from the hobbit absolutely absolutely that's Um, what they look like in my head (laughs) and i also yeah i wanted to note too like we've heard them talk multiple times now about this like quote-unquote last war that they're winning um which i do think it'll end up being much more of an abstract concept than like a literal war uh, but thoughts on what that could be? Yeah, I've been thinking about this too, especially um, given like all of our like posturings and ideas about the flame and Clark being the key and all this stuff. And I'm wondering if the last war man will ever wage is death. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think that's a good option. The one thing that I don't love about that is the fact that it feels like a retread from what we've already done with the primes. I have to agree, but I'm just like, I can't think of what, I mean, it just feels like it fits so well. Mm -hmm. I can't think of what anything else that would like fit as well as that, but yeah, I've been I mean, like many times. Yeah, I thought about death. I've thought about like them wanting to go home, but I don't know why that would be the last battle. Like war. Um, I mean, I guess kind of tying into what Alex had emailed us about, like maybe they just really want to create a city of light where they can all live in harmony, peace, and uh, quote unquote peace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe that's the last war is like getting the hell off this crappy planet and into a better place. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but I mean, I'm sure we'll find out because they keep hammering in this war but it's like it would be so helpful if someone just like would say what the war was i mean they've said everything else can't you just just like expo dump that yeah (laughs) please 
Um, and we can tell that we're obviously we're still missing some pieces here, right? Because Hope is looking at Anders like he's murdered someone mm-hmm. um, and has a vendetta against him. Oh, this is when we're switching scenes, right? Oh, no, no in this scene, no, too. In yeah. This scene. Right, exactly. Um, she's like moving through the crowd. And you can tell that, like, clearly something has happened between her and Anders that we haven't witnessed yet. Um, But that has already taken place at this point in her timeline. Um, To the point where she, like, forgets herself and just starts to move into position to attack him. And then Echo finally stops her and reminds her of the importance of their mission and that they can't fuck it up. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, like, we can tell, like, something really bad happened between Anders and... She hates him. Hates. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's got to be something with Dio's. It, it has to be. And I, I don't know what role he specifically would have played in it. I mean, aside from the fact that he's the quote unquote first disciple. Yeah. Um, I mean, but we did see in the very beginning that he was like telling Levitt to like crank it up and he yeah. didn't care. And again, if they didn't have a Levitt in that room, he was probably the one who ordered the same thing for Dio's. Sure. So. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we also learned that Orlando didn't tell them everything. Uh <laughs> about this particularly about uh this anomaly stone on earth and it seems like there was a lot of that going around yeah it doesn't seem like the communication on this sky ring was uh, flowing too well no which again (laughs) just supports our conversation from last week which was like i just don't i didn't feel like the bond was as strong as maybe it should have been sure i mean i did feel this episode like i missed um, a lot of the like humor that this this trio brought for sure um, which I obviously get like this was a very serious episode they were on a mission yeah um, but I really really enjoyed these three together in the last couple of of, of episodes or I guess you know episode the last few that we've seen them in mm-hmm. um, and I, I wanted more and I'm, I'm just sad that it seems like the group is already splintering I mean there's rapid deterioration yeah here. it's not great um so then we move into this flashback and we see that it's been, we, we hear that it's been 24 days that have passed um, since uh, Hope showed up, freed Octavia, and then got trapped her, there herself. We don't know what happened during this time, but again, we, we must interpret that something really bad happened with Diosa and Anders specifically. Um, and we know that they've kept Hope in the Anomaly Stone room and they're just waiting for Octavia to activate her mind code that was tattooed on her back. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, got all of that in a big info dump, a clunky info dump. Yeah. I mean, it, it was unclear how they found out about Octavia's back tattoo and everything without them also finding out that Levitt kind of betrayed them. Exactly. Because like, why I like, I get why you could play off Levitt taking them to the anomaly stone and turning it on, but not Levitt revealing all of this information about like, "Mm, but if you go, you're going to lose your memory. So I guess I'll have to put this on you. Like it just, it like took it a little too far where it was not believable then that Levitt didn't have um, his full faculties in this situation. And also that they're not onto him and tie him up. Yeah. Like lock him up. Um, and we also watch as Anders threatens Hope with Dioza's life if she doesn't bring Octavia back. So this part is all true and very much in line with what we saw at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. Not that I was questioning no, it. No, we didn't question it, but yeah. it's nice to, to like watch it out, yeah. play out in real time. Um, and then Anders spits out some bullshit about what happens when the individual is valued over the collective. And then Hope responds with this absolute winner. It's called love, you son of a bitch. And I'm just like, fuck yes, Hope. Fuck yes. yes. Hearts. Uh, Anders wouldn't know. You wouldn't know, Anders. You're a cold stone <laughs> killer. 
so back on Sanctum, Murphy's being oiled up to be burned. He doesn't look bad, I will <laughs> say. I don't hate it. I don't hate him being <laughs> lathered in oil. <laughs> but at the last minute, Russell comes in and tells them to stop. He makes them kneel before him to show their fealty, and Indra at that point recognizes him as Shade Hedda. Later, she goes to speak to Shade Hedda, and the two realize they're at an impasse right now. Still, Indra has Jackson remove Russell's mind drive so that she can be sure that Shade Hedda won't come back when he's killed again. Yeah, so this is the part where I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about um, why this episode on Sanctum feels maybe less um, boring than past episodes, mm-hmm. but I still think it's annoying. Um, they like did a better job of making me care what happened on Sanctum this episode, but basically the reason is because they like ratcheted up the stakes so high that it was a literal matter of life and death on the line here of one of our main characters and for children that um made me care and if it's like if you have to go to that level of extreme in order for me to pay attention you're doing it wrong (laughs) i'm just sorry like it's true you're wrong you're doing this wrong um because even with all of this i still was like fast forward to the bardo parts um and again if that's the case if that's how your viewers are feeling you're doing it wrong I mean that's how I felt about Sanctum this entire season obviously agree um it's always like fast forward to the non-Sanctum parts because those are the interesting things right now um but I did I did actually really like this episode um for the Sanctum bits as well like if I had to watch the Sanctum stuff at least I feel this episode um that we got some forward movement with Indra realizing that it was Shade Hedda yeah um honestly like Indra in this episode was just a star she was it's great I I love that she's um able to take a little bit more of a leadership role um in this season and a little bit more of a um uh, main character role as well for sure yeah it's like the the Clark vacuum that she is like yeah to fill um so maybe that's also part of the reason why I, I I really enjoyed the sanctum stuff is just because like every time Indra is like being Indra I'm just like yeah you, you go girl like you are so awesome and it's also refreshing it's not something that we've seen that many times mm-hmm. and so it feels new well and she's also just a very different character from all of our other characters you absolutely. know absolutely there's like a lot less um emotional beleaguering happening yeah. with Indra. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am curious, though, why the faithful don't question whether Russell or Kaylee uh, are true gods when they're questioning Murphy, I, especially Kaylee. Especially Kaylee. I wondered the same thing. I was like, dude, they, they like, ha- turned at the same time. Like, like, do you think that Kaylee wouldn't recognize that her brother wasn't her brother? Right. Like, either Kaylee knows, or Kaylee's in on it, or Kaylee's not Kaylee. Right. Uh, you know, like. Either way, it's not great. Yeah. Agree, 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 agree. Um, Amori jokes that it took so it took them so long to get there because she had to find um, the right dress in quotes. And uh, Murphy looks her up and down and confirms that she did. And I gotta say, I agree. I agree as well. This I mean, dress is amazing. I personally feel like Amori's outfits this whole season have been awesome. I know you didn't like the episode one outfit. I didn't, but I did. <laughs> I mean, I I really like her. I always like her um, Kaylee Prime outfits. Well, yeah. Kaylee had great style. She she truly did. <laughs> um, and I am very, 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 very much enjoying J.R. Bourne's interpretation of Shade Hedda. I just find him so interesting to watch. He's, like, got such a, um, a subtle way of appearing, like, 
there is a monster inside of him just waiting to get out. For sure. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Um, And everything that J.R. Like, every choice that J.R. Bourne does, I'm just like, damn, that's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, he's great. And he's just also so charismatic in a way that, like, you can't take your eyes off him. But in a sinister way mm-hmm. um so there's like all these different notes being played out and it's it's awesome i mean again who would have thunk that i would have liked shade Hedda? i don't really care about shade Hedda, like as a character at all i i i like watching jr born though I, I wouldn't say i care about shade Hedda, but i i'm enjoying watching shade Hedda in a way that i very much was not last season that's so true. that's very true <laughs> um yeah and we can tell russell is clearly more violent than he used to be and Indra notices immediately because she's not stupid and is like who are you and what have you done with Russell yeah um I mean Shadehada does call the guy who shot him one of the fallen and I I kind of wanted to ask like does he mean that the people who no longer believe is that who he's calling the fallen or is he calling the faithful the fallen because they've like displeased him no I think he's calling people who are no longer part of the faithful okay I thought maybe he was like 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 Blythean is like the fallen. They're like people who okay. used to follow the faith but have now been disillusioned. I was like, was this kind of like a a punch to the uh, the no. faithful? Is like you are the fallen no, now. No, no, <laughs> I, I think no. <laughs> I think not. Um, and then uh, like honestly, like we just gushed about Indra, but Indra is so smart in this scene. Like I had no idea that we'd figure out the Shadehead issue so quickly. Me I too. thought it would be a while, um, but Indra just like picks up on it she like immediately gets it and then she uses trig to catch him in the act um which was fantastic and also something that bellamy did uh to clark josephine last season so i love trig being used to like see if you're really who you say you are i know i love it and i i think this is a really great example of like concise storytelling right it's Mm -hmm. like you have the setup which was um the the first bit which is like where he's acting violent and indra gets catches on then you have like the 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 lore which is like him um help me uh I don't know what you're saying sorry he's like (laughs) you know he like he's like at first he's like acting weird then he says something that she recognizes Mm -hmm. and then he can and then she confirms it with the The, trick there's a spider on your shoulder that is like all happening within three minutes Mm -hmm. which is like really awesome writing that's great storytelling let's do more of that let's just have more of indra yeah uh indra and shade because they're really good pairing yeah and like although she knows how dangerous he is like she wants to kill him so badly but she knows that she can't because she knows that it'll be a bloodbath either way like she and then it's just going to be a hot mess. Sure. Well, I mean, it's not just that she wants to kill him um, so badly because of, of this situation, but it's like it also like really delves deep into her childhood sure. and, and how like much of a hatred she has for him. Um, just thinking all the way back to what happened to her parents. Um, she'd mentioned that her mother kneeled and she thought her weak for it. But I was like, but did did Indra not kneel? I mean, did they did he not make the children I, kneel? I, I feel like it was like just the adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the children would go wherever their parents went. So, like, her hatred for him goes way beyond the things that are happening right now. Absolutely. And I love this piece of background, which we've never learned before. And I like that we're still coloring in parts of Indra's character mm-hmm. um, that makes sense with who she is as a person. As yeah. Well. Um, it just adds more texture, adds more layers to her as a person. And it just reminds you, too, of, like, how much of the grounders um, – 
culture was built on domination. Yeah. Essentially until, I think, until Lexa got there. I think Lexa. And united them instead of conquering them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But she does ensure that, you know, even if she can't kill him, he will never come back and then has Jackson remove his mind drive, which I thought was so smart. Very smart. I will say I found Jackson really disturbing in this scene. I mean, this is really just not how how a doctor should be behaving. Absolutely not. Even to someone you hate, like when you're a doctor, I mean, you take a pledge that you will do no harm. Um, and Jackson has really been straying from that path this season. Yeah, um, he's having a hard time. And like Indra knows that. And she's also very good at manipulating people and like keeping the the fact that this guy is really Shade Hedda from Jackson and then using that and the combi- combination of like Abby's death um, to like have Jackson not medicate him sure is like a power move in and of itself I don't you know I don't love it I think it's it's icky but it is a move sure I mean I think Indra does what needs to be done and right now she needs them to think that this is uh Russell um I'm not sure how long it'll be before she tells people that it's really Shade Hedda Mm -hmm. um you know I think that it would be okay if she told like our group but at the same time she might want to keep it secret keep it safe you know (laughs) um just in case someone accidentally like lets it slip yeah I agree I think you know keep it close to the vest yeah um but yeah so we're almost to the end of the episode now on planet Bardo it's seven days ago Octavia wakes up in the MCAP room and Levitt tells her that he's being reassigned and she'll have to beat the machine by repeating her I am not afraid mantra Anders comes in and needs Octavia to talk to Bellamy, who is holding the stone conductor hostage. Octavia bargains for Bellamy to be sent back to Sanctum, but instead, one of the disciples Bellamy took out pulls a grenade and explodes the room. When the smoke clears, Bellamy is gone, assumed dead. (laughs) Lols. Echo watches this memory when she, Hope, and Gabriel rescue Octavia in the present day, and then Echo loses it and ends up killing the MCAP technician in her fury. Yeah, so, you know, we see poor Levitt here, wants to help so bad, but he guesses, probably correctly, um, that he that they suspect that he might be too close to Octavia to continue to be on her case. And it's like, you think? Yeah. You think he's too close, guys? Where the hell have you been? I hope that he's okay. I, I hope, hope that he's okay they too. didn't, like, you know, use this as a ploy, but really he's, like, in a dungeon somewhere. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm worried about it, too. <laughs> Godspeed, Levitt. Yeah. Godspeed. Um, but then Levitt knows Octavia so well at this point, you know, that he even remembers the mantra um, that she used to talk, that she used to say back on the arc, which is, I'm not afraid. And I think this is so sweet. Yeah. But also, I think it's a it's a mantra that she's taken with her throughout her whole life. So it doesn't surprise me that he knows that. No, of course not. No, I just mean that, like, it's sweet that he, like, picked up on it. Sure. And that he, like, really understands her. Yeah. It's very cute. Um... And then we see Bellamy, guys, and oh boy, <laughs> it just really feels like the show kind of finally snapped back into place again for a very, very brief. short period of time. It like, was almost so brief that it like didn't really hit me. Yeah. Like I wanted it to, and I was ready for it, but then it like happened, and then it was over so fast that it was like a blip, <laughs> and it was gone, and I didn't really get to feel it, you know? Yeah, and I, I don't know how long it'll be until we see him again, so... I don't know, man. (laughs) Um, And then as soon as, you know, the the bomb explodes, Levitt just, like, swoops right in and holds Octavia as she's screaming. And it's like, I see you, Levitt. I see you there. Yeah. I mean, he's not subtle. No. No. Um, My question to you is, why did Anders agree to this deal with Bellamy, um, with Octavia on behalf of Bellamy to, like, send him back? 
Um, and then why did one of the disciples go rogue and blow himself and presumably Belle up because of this decision? Um, I mean, I think Anders agreed with the deal because he wants Octavia to tell him about Clark. Although at the same time, I don't think Anders really agreed with the deal. I think Anders was going to like play the system and somehow manage to get both of them. Yes, I agree with you. Um, as to why one of the disciples went rogue, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is maybe like the shepherd ordered them to bring back everyone that they could. And so Anders like letting one go was like going against the shepherd's orders. And that's why they were all like, but wait a minute, we can't do that. Yeah. I'm just like wondering if maybe there is more dissent in this group than maybe we originally thought. It's possible. Um, I think that would be interesting. I mean, I, I feel like it's less dissent. I feel like if anyone's dissenting, it's Anders. That's who's like I mean. going off on his own direction. But I, I feel like him being the, the like number one under the, the shepherd gives him a little bit more leeway there. Yeah, um, maybe. Whereas like the lower people seem to still be very, um, very into the shepherd. <laughs> sheep. The sheep. Oh, he, they are the sheep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. This scene. So Bellamy's dead. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely the way that you would kill off your main character, uh-huh. male lead of the show. There's absolutely um, no way he's still alive in any way, shape, or form. But, like, for real, though, um, I want to talk about what we think about this whole Bellamy situation. Um, there's, like, a lot of questions that this scene brings up. The first being, is this memory even real? Uh, because there are two, like, glitch sounds in this episode um that i think could be a sign of like false memories or changed memories or like skipped memories or something along those lines tampered with tampered with in some way um those glitches are when hope is looking at anders speaking at the rally and then it kind of glitches back to her and anders being in the anomaly stone room when she was going back on her mission Mm -hmm. the second glitch was uh when they were going back um, to look at this memory. So like, so they, they say that Bellamy was there and they have to take Octavia. And then we glitch forward to um, Echo and Hope and them coming forward. Yeah. Um, And then they look at this memory through Octavia's mind. Yeah. Like we don't see this memory memory. happen actively. It's just her memory um, that they're watching. And so I think that leaves a lot of room for this to be tampered with in some way. Um, But another idea that I have is maybe, uh, maybe Anders programmed the anomaly to take, uh, to take Bellamy to another planet. Obviously wouldn't be Sanctum. I don't think it would be Skyring. So perhaps the unnamed planet perhaps Nakara I think the unnamed planet is probably the the most realistic idea of where he could be um but I also saw some people theorize that it really just like popped him out in another place in Bardo um that like just wanted to keep him there I don't know if that's actually possible though I don't think that's possible either because unless they had another anomaly stone on Bardo all we know is that at some point in this season Bob will be wearing the like uh, this the same clothes that as the disciples wear. Yeah. Um. So I guess we all kind of took that to mean that he would be in Bardo and that they would be working on him as well. Yeah. Um. It could also mean that he's like he becomes a spy and like if the the stone conductor that maybe gets sucked into the anomaly with him here, like maybe he takes his clothes and like comes back um to save his people that way. Like there's so many different questions I have around this scene. Um. And so I'm I'm really curious to see what direction they'll go with same I have no um answers on that but I 
am interested in that entire line of questioning and I think it's really cool to think about especially not taking at face value the memories and not taking at face value that he sent him back to Sanctum yeah he definitely did not he did not yeah and I don't think he sent him to Skyring because I don't think they're gonna have Bellamy age like 10 years or no, whatever I, before I don't think so either. <laughs> um the second that Echo gets into the MCAP room, it's clear that her desperation to find Bellamy has intensified to a disturbing degree. Um, she threatens this dude, who's not Levitt, with losing an eye, um, which isn't super out of character for Echo, but like her like mannerisms have changed a little bit, and she's just very frantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like already we're like worried that she's gonna maybe take this too far, especially after the events of last episode. Yeah, and. Uh... She does. She does. <laughs> um, Spoiler alert. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, it really does feel like they're paralleling a lot of what happened with Finn here back in season two when Clark was lost. Yeah. Um, but I really hope that her story ends up in a different place than Finn's because I think that for Echo, it's this is like her, um, this is what she was raised to be. Like this is what she's been crafted as. Yeah. And I want her to find something beyond that you know I want her to really examine this like blind devotion and love that she has for Bellamy um and and that she's using as an excuse to mindlessly hurt other people I I think she really needs to reckon with that um and decide who she wants to be outside of what her role with Bellamy is and that's why I'm glad that she feels like Bellamy's dead right now because I'm hoping that that can like give her like a leg up to start figuring out herself (laughs) absolutely and I think it's important to examine this behavior as not not just about Bellamy but about what Bellamy represents and it's like everything that we talked about last episode too which is like the reason she's so desperate the reason she's so manic here is not just because she loves him and she's worried or scared for him or sad that he's gone or that she thinks he's gone Mm -hmm. it's really the fact that he represents safety control the familiar, everything that she was raised to do and every everything that her relationship with Bellamy is is to her, which is stability. Yeah. Um and familiarity. And so it's the loss of that on top of Bellamy that's really making her go crazy here. Sure. Um and this is an amazing performance by Tazia Tellis. I mean, you can feel this anger and this pain in her and she like she scared the shit out of me in this in this scene. Yeah, I mean she was out of control. I think she's supposed to scare us. I know, but like that was that was really intense, yeah. that performance. I mean, she's just like raw screaming into the camera. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. I do think it's ironic. I mean, not ironic. I, I realize like the, the, the reasons why here, but I just wanted to call out the like the irony of Echo preaching restraint to Hope 10 minutes before when they were at the rally. And then the second that they lose Bellamy, she herself loses that control. Um, it's, it's just an interesting parallel yeah I mean in many ways her telling hope to have restraints felt just as much for echo as for hope because Mm -hmm. echo was also there to save someone um and now that her person is supposedly gone she's like given up you know like she's not interested in helping hope or Gabriel anymore and the leash that she has like put on herself has been broken yeah yeah what an episode, guys. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, we talked about that really quick. I guess that's what happens when you have a hard deadline. Yeah, to stop. we're, like, th- blazing through this, but in a great way. Um, we do have some theories that we wanted to talk about, um, so I'm going to kick it over to you for this bit. 
Um, so yeah, so I guess I wanted to kind of reconvene about my theories earlier on in the trailer podcast that we did, the trailer discussion, um, and how they've changed, and also just new things that I've kind of thought of um, since then that I would love to throw by you guys. Um, so I know that in the trailer podcast we did, I discussed the flame and the fact that they would have to recreate the flame and the fact that the flame would still be really important in some way. Um, I, I do still think that this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think that with Shade Hedda and with Maddie still having um, the commander's memories in her head in places, um, and then with Clark and with everything that she's experienced and with Raven being the tech whiz that she is, I think they're going to all need to kind of come together and recreate the flame. For Cadigan, um, I just don't understand yet what exactly they want the flame for. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know if it's, like, to make this world a better livable place, Bardo, or if it's to, like, save Earth and go home, or if it's to, like, figure out how to turn on the Anomaly Stone back on Earth, or, like, there's there's so many things that they could use the flame for, um, but I do really think that the, the flame is what they're after. When they say Clark is the key, I think they really mean that the flame is the key. Yeah, because I think they, you're right. they specifically said, Anders specifically said that... Um, the key has been found. It's returned to us after hundreds of years. Returned to us. So we know that, like, obviously Becca had the flame back when Cadigan was still on Earth right. and with them. Um, and so for some reason, I think Cadigan must need that flame. Yeah. So I that's where I am with that. Cool. Um, it's pretty clear also that the shepherd is in cryo and the shepherd is Bill Cadigan. So Bill Cadigan's in cryo. I am... Like, I've said this so many times, but I'm just so happy for you. Thank you. And so proud of you. I just, I was, like, so convinced back in season four that he was in cryo because I really wanted to see him again. That was the reason I was convinced by it. Um, And it turns out he is. Now, what this means, I'm not sure. I don't know if he's, like, been consistently in cryo for hundreds of years. I don't know if they, like, get him out and then put him back in um, to, like, extend his life. I wanted to bring up what Alex had mentioned earlier about did Bill already create the City of Light in that I like the idea that the the way that they're getting um, their information um, and orders from the Shepherd is through like some kind of virtual system that his mind is in. Um, If that's the case, though, it's like they could do that, but they couldn't make the flame. Like there's a lot of questions there, but I do. I do really like that idea. I also want to know if Indra might know where to find the Anomaly Stone on Earth. Oh, interesting. Why? Why? Well, um, I mean, first off, someone knows where it is. Somebody's got to know. Because we're going to find it. Um, I also wanted to say that uh, we know that Potocru, I think that's what it was called, um, the lake people, Mm -hmm. their symbol involves like a little swirly do, just like the anomaly. Um, Do I think that the writers planned that? Absolutely not. Do I think they might take advantage of it? Perhaps. Perhaps that's where the anomaly stone is. And maybe Indra would know that. Um, We, I mean, because we know that like Lincoln had that horn that had the um, symbols carved into it. Sure. It, it, you have to like go back. It like happens very briefly. It's the horn that warns um, the tree crew people about the approaching mountain men. Right, right. Or not the mountain men, but sorry, the, the acid fog, yeah, the mountain yeah. men release. Um, and so there were like anomaly symbols on that horn, or at least very similar, similar kind looking. of symbols. Um, so it's possible that tree crew, you know, has the uh, anomaly stone somewhere. Um, obviously could be in the bunker. 
that's where Cadigan might have found it. Um, maybe it was just like under our hero's feet this whole time. Maybe. Uh, could be in Becca's lab. We do see a like little flash of Becca's lab in the opening uh, trailer sequence. Right. Which is interesting because that whole planet is gone now. Um, so it does make you think that that specific place might become more significant later on in the season. Uh, and it could be in Eden. The, the last green spot on Earth, you know? True. All true. There's, All possible. There's a lot of different possibilities, but we're going to find it. And someone's going to have to know where it is. I guess it could also just be Cadigan. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe. Um, and then last, this was just kind of a, an idea that kind of popped into my head as I was thinking about why they were losing their memories when they were going back through the anomaly. Um, and as that occurred to me then I was thinking about why Octavia's hand would have healed when they were going through the anomaly and, and what you know what f- factors what powers in the anomaly were able to do that and then I was like mm, what if that's how they save the earth what if it's like they use whatever power heals Octavia's hand as a way to like de-age the earth and like bring it back to life that's cool I don't know if that really makes any sense but Let's be honest, like, we're going back to Earth, and we need somehow for it to not be dead. So, No, I think that's a very good point. I have no idea how that would work, but very interesting. Yeah, so I I like that idea because I don't don't enjoy the thought that this whole Octavia's arm healing itself magically is just going to be dropped, you know? I feel like it might. It just, but but just, like, why? We'll see. I mean, I, I guess de-aging is a little bit different than like bringing back from the dead <laughs> but, true yeah those are not the same but we'll see we'll see uh all good theories love theory corner with sarah mccabe uh-huh. it's good <laughs> it's great all right now title meaning corner with Brittany perlman um so the title of this episode is welcome to bardo again in parentheses bitch <laughs> uh on uh on the superficial level this is a very complicated obviously open to many interpretations welcome to bardo i mean what in the hell could that mean right (laughs) so let's just focus on the word bardo um let's revisit uh sarah did some really great research for us in the trailer analysis that i'm going to read to you guys and what bardo is in terms of buddhism so it goes in some schools of Buddhism, bardo is an intermediate, transitional, or liminal state between death and rebirth. Used loosely, bardo is the state of existence intermediate between two lives on earth. According to Tibetan tradition, after death and one's, when before one's next birth, when one's consciousness is not connected with a physical body, one experiences a variety of phenomena. They, these usually follow a particular sequence of degeneration from just after death, the clearest experience of reality, which one is spiritually capable, and then proceeding to terrifying hallucinations that arise from the impulses of one's previous unskilled actions. Um, for the for the prepared and appropriately trained individuals, the bardo offers a state of great opportunity for liberation. For others, it can become a place of danger as the karmically created hallucinations can impel one into less than desirable rebirth. So there's really cool implications here. I don't think it's a coincidence that Bardo um, is the name of this episode after we were just talking about this idea of rebirth, of um, de-aging, the idea of coming back to life. Uh, There's a lot to pick and parcel here. I also think it is specifically tied to the idea of the anomaly, which they consider a bridge, which is a liminal space in itself. That's what a bridge is between two places. And again, this idea that like you need training, you need equipment um, to enter it or the worst could happen and I think that's exactly what is 
what all of these like what all the technology and the um experience of the people on bardo the disciples have learned using the the, the bridge um uh in a way that is most effective for them and then we see like some really well we don't see but we hear about some really horrible consequences of what can happen if you do this incorrectly and it can go wrong um i like the idea of this being sort of like an in-between state for humanity where they're like in limbo waiting to be like reborn back into a generation that is like inheriting the earth mm-hmm. i think that could be a really cool thing to explore um but yeah i think there's just lots of really interesting connections here what do you think i like the idea too um of bardo being kind of what octavia is stuck in right now where she's like forced to relive the past but isn't able to like move into the future when she's like trapped in these chairs yeah um so just like a more literal meaning there yeah, but that's really cool but yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm really excited to see how these terms, how these like Buddhist terms play out because we also know Nakara is, or was Nakara, Nakara might've been a Hinduist term. I don't remember. I'm going to have to check. Um, but we just know that there, there are some religious terms, um, Eastern religion, Eastern yeah. religious terms thrown in, um, to these planets. And so I, I'm curious to see why they were named that way. Um, and does it have anything to do with the actual show or did the writers just like the concept you know yeah no it's a great question but really fun to think about yeah what was your favorite line my favorite line and this was hard because again so much of this episode was plot driven yeah um but i really loved when octavia told hope that i love you little one and don't you ever forget it because it was again just like it's the way you talk to a child um and i think that octavia and hope are still really in those roles um and it's like so sweet to see them there but i'm also really excited to see how they come to relearn each other um now that hope is older you know totally i think it was it was a beautiful moment um my favorite line (laughs) of course is uh when hope tells anders it's called love you son of a bitch because it truly just like felt great yeah it felt so good anders (laughs) is a piece of shit and he should be called so um of course my runner-up favorite line uh was from indra when she told jackson faith isn't the problem blind faith is because i do think that is a really core central idea of the hundred um and i really like that indra was the the wise person who said it yeah because uh, she is so wise she She's is so smart and she has so much experience with religion you yeah. know yeah and the conflict that arises mm-hmm. from it um favorite scene um, this was hard too because I really enjoyed so much of this episode, but I think my favorite scene was the rally scene just because we got a lot of little nuggets of information to chew on and we got the confirmation that there's an anomaly stone on earth. Um, there were just a lot of exciting things there for me. So that's my favorite. Yeah. What cool. about yours? Um, I have like a combination of stuff. Basically every scene with Levitt and Octavia <laughs> was my favorite. I love me a good ship. Yeah. That's I'm fair. I'm not going to lie. Uh, runner up also was just having Bellamy Blake back on my screen. God bless him. For however brief. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say that was my favorite scene because again, I think it left me a little empty feeling, but I did enjoy looking at his face. Yeah. In the hundred. I miss him. 
So the next episode is 706 Nakara. In this episode, Clark and her friends find themselves on a planet that is not what it seems. Dun, dun, dun. And I will say, too, I think there are aliens on it. Oh, my God. Did you see the promo yet? No. Yeah, we, we, we pushed this podcast out very quickly. We <laughs> haven't even seen the promo. I watched it this morning. Um, but it looks like there's, like, spider aliens on the planet. And I am so excited. It actually looks almost like a, a horror episode, kind of reminiscent of a um, season three when what was that called demons i think oh yes um where they had like emmett emerson emerson yeah. trying to like kill them all and it was just you know very like horror-esque um this is also this seems kind of like more in the line of alien the movie horror-esque mm, um and i know that's that. like great for you Super but like great. truly is great for me because no, it is like you're i love lap it this shit up and i'm like god Oh, and also next episode is the episode in which Clark and Raven have their talk from the trailer. Oh, good. I don't know. I hope it's going to be long enough for me to feel fulfilled. Um, and if it's not, I'm going to expect some more. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's our episode. Thanks for sticking with us as we plowed through this <laughs> on deadline. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at skycast, and you can tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is our episode. Until we meet again, bye. May we meet again. Bye.